Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Are you guys ready for the word this morning? Come on. We've been in a series that we are calling Personal Exodus, where we are learning from the Israelites. We're learning from the lessons that they learned. How many of you like learning from other people's mistakes? Come on, get an amen. If I don't have to make the same mistake in my life, I can learn it from someone else, I will. And we've journeyed with them through this story. And if you're new to church and you're new to the Bible, I wanna invite you, you can grab a Bible out at our Connect area. We've got one free for you. Read through this story and hear of the miracles of God and what he brought the Israelites through. It's an incredible story, and I ask you guys to join us in reading that. The first week that we open this up, Tim talked about how God guided the Israelites by cloud and by fire. Who remembers that fire illustration? Do I do, do, I do a good interpretation of that? No, no. Hey, if you happen to have a used car lot and you're in need of one of those, just come to my house because literally we have piles and piles of sermon props from Tim and our house isn't that big. I just bowed to the master of sermon illustrations. Thank you so much. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, you can check it on, out on YouTube. But not only did God guide the Israelites, but he actually is the guide inside of each and every one of us. Week two, we talked about manna that fell from heaven and how God provided for the Israelites and that not only did he provide for them, but we shouldn't forsake the gathering, and God has a daily bread for each and every one of us. Well, this morning, I want to back up a little bit from the manna and go back to chapter 15 of the Exodus story. And if you're taking notes today, the title of this message is Look to the Tree. Look to the Tree. So um, the Israelites, back in chapter 14 and part of 15, they come to the Red Sea. And if you haven't read the Bible, you need to, because some of these stories are insane. Like, God literally made a dry path through a sea so that the Israelites could cross over to find safety when they were running from the Egyptians. And he made a wall of water on either side that they could pass through. It's an incredible story, a miracle. And when they got to the other side of the Red Sea, the Bible says that the Israelites began to celebrate all that God did. They celebrated his faithfulness, that he rescued them, and they, they gave thanks to him, began dancing and singing. And so we're gonna pick up post-dance party in Exodus 15:22. You can follow on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. It says, so Moses brought the Israelites from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, and God really wants us to know this because he repeated it twice, they named, they, the name was called Marah, which means bitter. Verse 24 says, and the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. 
There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Come on, that's a good word this morning. Can you pray with me as we dive in today? Father, thank you for your word and thank you that we've learned that what you said in the Old Testament, what you did in the Israelites' lives wasn't just applicable for them in their day, but it's something that we can take. So right now, we just ask, would you speak to us this morning? We open up our hearts and we say yes to what you wanna show us. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you in the room are what you'd call outdoorsy? You like to be outside, yeah. Who's got the All Trails app on their phone? They're always up for a hike, come on. Now, who in the room is more like my husband and you're just a little more indoorsy? Be honest, okay. Okay, we're gonna divide the room, just kidding. All my outdoorsy people, like if I invited you on a hike this afternoon, would you be like, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. Like I'm up for a hike. Well, one of um, the pastors at the church that we came from knew that I was outdoorsy. And so he invited me to go on this hike, this is about 10 years ago, where he would take a group of interns that he oversaw and he would take them up a mountain. Now mind you, these poor little interns signed up for an internship at a church so they could get to know God better so they could strengthen their walk and their, their knowledge of the word. They didn't sign up to go hiking. And this wasn't just any hike. This was a hike up Mount Langley, which is 14,000 feet above sea level. So he needed a little extra help with these interns and he knew that not only was I up for a hike, but I also could help keep them in line and help them from like not falling off the side of the cliff with no joke, like almost happened a few times. Um, so we went on this hike and I learned a few things because I enjoy hiking, but backpacking is different than hiking. So I learned a few things about backpacking. I learned one, when you're going up so high in elevation that you don't just like start out on the journey and go straight up, but no, you have to go slowly and you have to let your body acclimate to the elevation. So we would hike a little and then we'd make camp We'd stay the night, we'd break camp, we'd hike a little bit more, we'd make camp again, and we did this a few times so that our bodies could acclimate to the elevation. I also learned a fun fact that if you take a baby aspirin, it keeps for you from getting elevation headaches. Like, there's a tip for all of you on your next backpacking trip, you're welcome. The last thing that I learned was that in the wilderness, some people are really good at complaining especially a bunch of interns that did not sign up for a hike. They signed up for learning more about God. They actually named the hike the death hike, the death hike. And they're like, I'm not, like literally people wouldn't sign up years later to go be an intern because they didn't want to go on the death hike. So I learned that people are really good at complaining in the wilderness. I had a few girls that were more indoorsy and they were really upset that they weren't gonna get to bring anything like a curling iron or their makeup, or God forbid they not have a mirror with them. And they complained about it. They told us about it. I had a few people on the trip that really didn't work out too much. Um, they, weren't, they, they weren't the outdoorsy type, but they also weren't the indoorsy gym type who like, 
you know, pump some iron, like actually could breathe when they walked. Like a mile walk was a lot for them. And literally they're standing at the base of a 14,000 foot mountain complaining. Also had a kid on the trip who was kind of the cool kid. Like he dressed cool, he acted cool. He was a jokester, he always had a response. Man, did that kid cry a lot on this trip. <laughs> Literally, we're walking and he's crying about the blisters. We're walking and he's crying and complaining about the pastor that made him come on this. He actually kept getting in trouble and we kept having, to, he had to grab rocks every time he got in trouble. Like it was kind of torturous. I think they've, they've, they've ridded that man from this program, probably from this. But this kid would cry. At one point, he literally started crying out for his mommy, no joke, in his tent, weeping. So people can get really good at complaining in the wilderness. And the Israelites too got really good at complaining in the wilderness. And I think something about being in the wilderness caused them to have short-term memory. They got really good at forgetting what God could do and they, got, and they started doubting Sorry, they got really good at believing for what God had already done, that he'd already taken them through the Red Sea. And they started doubting what he was able to do. See, if you're taking notes this morning, there's a thought I want you to write down and a and thought I want us to camp on today. And that is, don't stop believing. Don't stop, just kidding. It says in chapter 14, that the Israelites came to the other side of the Red Sea after crossing over and they celebrated God's faithfulness. They celebrated what he had just done. They danced and they sang and they celebrated, God, you are so good. Look at your provision. Look at what you've done for us. And literally three days later, the Israelites find themselves wandering in a hot desert, thirsty for water. And here they are complaining. Now, I j just imagine with me for a moment. It's one thing to be really thirsty on your own, but it's another thing to be thirsty with two million people. I said 2,000 last service, and I'm just here to tell everyone if you were here, it's two million. <laughs> Facts. Numbers are hard. It's fine. So the Israelites are here, and I grew up in a place called Vacaville. Shout out to good old Vacaville. But summers in Vacaville are really hot. Like 100 plus degree weather. And anytime I had to leave the perfect sanctuary of my house that was air conditioned and I actually had to go outside and get in the car, you know what I mean? If, you, if, if you've been to a hot location and you park your car in the sun and you have leather seats, that are black, what happens? Third degree burns all over your legs. Me and my kids would have to get in the car and we start driving and you know how when you drive and you're stopping and you're not on the freeway where your, your engine has enough time to circulate and allow the air conditioning to actually work, so you're just blowing hot air on yourself. So me and the kids are just sweating and then they, they do what they do every time they get in the car because my kids wait to drink water until they get in the car and they say, mom, do you have any water? And I'm like, no, I don't. And all of us are just whining and complaining and sweating. 
Now imagine not just two children, but thousands of children complaining for water. And the Israelites walking through the desert and sweating and dust and sand and herds of animals that are complaining too. Just want you to catch this picture. So all of a sudden the Israelites get to Mara. And probably far off, they saw Mara, and there as they were approaching it, their mouths started watering. They're like, it's there. There's the water source. We're so thirsty, and finally we get to drink. And finally they get to Mara, and they take a sip. <laughs> it's bitter. Are you kidding me? That was gross, right? Sorry about that. But are you kidding me? You get to Mara and Mara is simply a mirage. They can't even drink the water. And here they are. And if you know anything about the human body, you know you can't go more than three days without your vital organs starting to shut down. See, the Israelites were in bad shape. They were in a rough spot and they knew it. But what the Israelites should have known as well is that their God was for them. Their God had just brought them out of Egypt, out of this place where they were being enslaved and he had delivered them from that. Not only was he for them, he was literally with them. They could have looked up and what would they have seen? Oh, that's right, the cloud. You're literally with us, God. And instead of being full of faith, knowing that their God was for them, you know what they were full of? They were full of complaint. They were full of this complaint. And this morning, I think it's interesting if we look at this, how when we get to that season of lack in the wilderness, it's interesting how that lack causes us to forget what God did before. And this is exactly what happened with the Israelites. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Today's problem can cause us to forget yesterday's provision. See, they failed to believe that the God who held back the waters of the sea could hand them a fresh cup of cold water in the desert. See, like the Israelites, how quickly we too forget God's faithfulness, his provision, the way he provided for us. How quickly when we're in a season of lack do we forget what he did before? I wanna ask you this morning, are you wandering well or are you worrying well? I know in my own life, what I've noticed about myself in seasons of lack or in seasons where there's been prayers that have been unanswered or doors that haven't opened, that I can find myself worrying. I've probably shared this before, but one of my daughters has a hereditary blood disorder and it causes her immune system to be weaker. And she has an enlarged spleen because of it. You know, I pray almost every single day that my daughter's immune system would be healed, that she would gain strength, that her spleen would shrink. I pray almost every day for that. You know, recently, even though I've been praying, I haven't seen my daughter get better. In fact, this has been a crazy season of sickness for her. She's gotten the flu, 
multiple times in a virus and when she gets sick, she gets knocked down and out of commission for a while. Her body's weak and it takes her longer than the average kid to get better. And I've watched my child suffer. One of these bouts of sickness almost had her hospitalized because her blood levels were so off. She was so lethargic and she almost needed a transfusion. See, that makes me worry as a mom. Yet, you see, there's something about lack in the wilderness that makes us forget the provision of the past. And this morning, if you find yourself complaining and doubting and worrying more than declaring, then I want to tell you something. And I want to remind myself of something this morning that we need to remember. Remember. See, Psalms 91 says that Recounting God's faithfulness is like a shield. Recounting the faithfulness of the past and what he's already done for you is like a shield. It guards you against doubt that tries to enter your heart. It guards you against worry that tries to enter your heart. See, when I recount his past faithfulness, it gives me hope. It actually gives me more faith for the future when I remind myself of what he did in the past. I want you to write this down. Write it down. No, literally, write, write it down. <laughs> this is a practice that I've developed, a habit that I've started doing, where I write down the faithfulness of God. I write down the miracle that God does in my life, the miracle of the people in our church that I've seen, people we've prayed for and we see God break through with a miracle, and I write it down. Not only do I write it down, I begin to recite it. I read it aloud to myself and remind myself of what God has already done. Because you know what? I don't want to stop believing. I don't want to stop believing even in a wilderness, even when there's lack. And reminding myself of God's faithfulness reminds me that he is faithful not just in the past, but for the future. So when there's people in our church that are praying to have a baby and they haven't seen that womb open yet, do you know what I do? I don't stop believing by reminding myself of what God did in my story. That for two years I went through infertility and everything was against me to get pregnant, but then God opened my womb and I had a baby. So when I remember my past and my story, it gives me faith to believe for their story. When I see lack in front of me, do you know what I do? I remind myself that God called me to the most expensive city and he was faithful as we were looking for a house to find because here's the deal. When you start a church, you start a church in your house and some of these houses out here are small. I needed an open space where I could stuff a bunch of people in and you know what I also prayed for? I prayed for two bathrooms because when you have a bunch of people over, everybody has to pee at the same time. I'm like, Lord, this is important. This prayer point is important. So what did God do? He provided a house for us, under market value, plenty of space, not two bathrooms, but three, can I get an amen? And plenty of parking. So when I face lack, I remind myself of the previous faithfulness of God. I pray diligently that God would give us a permanent facility here in San Francisco, one that says the Father's house out on the front. 
I believe him for that. But when I look around and I see the prices, and I said I'm bad with numbers, but millions are like big numbers that I look at and begin to make my faith wane. But you know what I do in that moment? I remember the faithfulness of some of my friends. See, because I've got some friends who were praying for a building and God gave them one. And I remember the faithfulness of the people in our church that it's not just me and Tim trying to collect some cash, but we've got some faithful people that God brought to this house that said, I'm gonna give faithfully and I'm gonna partner with this vision and I'm gonna see it come to pass. And I remember the words that God has spoken over our church prophetically. And he said, you will own real estate because where my authority is and ownership is, my dominion is. And he's spoken it over our church. He said, it's already done in heaven. So when I doubt, when I worry, I remind myself of the faithfulness. And when I pray for healing over people in our church and my baby girl, do you know what I do? I remember the faithfulness of God and how he healed me of my immune system and a disease that I was suffering 15 years ago. And I say, God, you did it for me. I know you can do it again. I won't stop believing. Come on, we gotta write it down and remember the faithfulness of the past so that we can believe and have faith for our future, amen? Amen. So what about you, church? What about you? What has God brought you out of? What has he done in your life? Write it down. Recount his faithfulness. Ask yourself, man, in the last year, what has he done? What has he brought me out of? Come on, Cliff's story of the faithfulness of how he delivered him out of that and how he found him a home. Write it down. Let us not forget so we don't stop believing even when we're in the midst of a wandering season in the desert. In the midst of this remembering the miracle, remembering what God did and believing for that, I also think that it's necessary for us to purge the past. And I know that sounds kind of contradictory, so let me tell you what I mean by purge the past. It says in verse 25, so Moses cried out to the Lord for help and the Lord showed him a tree. Moses threw it into the water and the waters were made sweet. See, Moses followed the directions of God. God said, I want you to go cut down a tree, chop it down, or a a branch, I don't know, and throw it into the water. And this seems perfectly logical, right? Like anytime I'm out of fresh water, I live not too far from Lake Merced, I simply just walk across, I chop down one of the eucalyptus trees and I toss it into the water. It works every time. Go on, you ever read the Bible and you're like, what? So a lot of commentators just talk this up to being another miracle that God does, which is, a fine explanation, but I thought, God, is there something more here? And as I researched and read, I found, uh, I came across a study called The Exodus Journey by a man named Jamie Buckingham, who is or was uh, an author, a pastor, a teacher, and a Bible scholar. And he made it part of his life's work to understand more about the Old Testament teaching. And he believes that there's a little bit more to this branch being thrown in the water that caused the water to become sweet. And he says this, he said that it's possible that the chemical in the sap of the broken tree could have drawn the mineral content down to the bottom of the pool and left only good water at the top. He further speculates that even though the water was now potable, there was still a significant amount of magnesium and calcium content in the water. And this,
this may have acted as a laxative effect, which had the ability to clean out the digestive system of the children of Israel. Because after they had been in Egypt for so long, there were common diseases that they most likely brought out of Egypt with them. Now, I know you're like, that's gross. But we're going to talk about what's in the Bible today. And let me tell you, I don't think this idea and this theory is too far-fetched. Because in all of the rituals, in all of the practices that God commanded Israel in, a lot of them had to do with health and hygiene from circumcision to quarantine when there was a disease to uh, bathing in running water to eating a kosher diet. All of these didn't just have spiritual implications on their life, they actually had a, a physical purity that had to do with this practice. So I don't think this is far-fetched. And it makes sense because I don't believe that God just wanted to get the Israelites out of Egypt. I believe that he wanted to get Egypt out of the Israelites. Come on, you can take the girl out of the hood, but you can't take, does that work? Doesn't work here. That, that doesn't work. See, God wanted to not just get the Israelites out. He said, I want to get what's in you, part of what you brought over as I delivered you. Do you know this morning that God doesn't just want to save you, but he wants to sanctify us. If you're new to church, this word sanctify, you may not know. It simply means to be set apart. See, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you become like him. And in this practice of being near him, he begins to sanctify us, which means he begins to purify us. He begins to get the gunk out. And just like Egypt and this process of them drinking the water and them being purified wasn't so pretty and we don't really want to talk about it. In fact, it was kind of messy. The same thing happens with us. And I think some of you know what I mean by this. See, it's interesting how funny um, or surprised that we can be as we grow closer to Jesus that many believers are like, ooh, what's this coming out? Like, I thought I was getting closer to God and being more holy. Like, actually, some gross stuff's coming out of me. And we can be so surprised. But here's the deal. Apart from God, it's easy to cover up the mess. It's easy to put a mask over the mess. It's easy to put some makeup on the mess and ignore the mess or medicate the mess. But when you get close to Jesus, that mess starts coming up to the surface. There's this thing that happens when you get close to God. He begins to evict Egypt in your life. Or let me say it like this. Proximity produces purity. You see, in my own journey, when I finally decided to serve God and not just be a casual Christian and I dusted off my Bible and I actually started reading it, I actually started communicating with God and praying, I remember literally taking it off the shelf, going into my backyard and sitting down. And in my thought process, I was like, this is gonna be bliss. It's gonna be beautiful. Just me and the Lord, we're finally connecting. Like I imagined angels flying around me in the presence of God, just meeting me there in the backyard. But instead of bliss, do you know what I got? Brokenness. I straight up broke. In that moment, just me and Jesus, I began to let all of the stuff that was stuck 
and lodge deep down inside me, spill out stuff that needed to come out a long time prior, but I finally let the mess come out and wasn't messy. All the hurt that I'd been carrying, all the pain, all the brokenness that I'd lodged deep down and put the mask over and said, I'm fine, I'm putting on the smile, showing up to church, worshiping the Lord. No, all the mess came out, all the sin, all the decisions that I'd made and the things I chose to partake in finally started coming up to the surface. It was time to deal with them. It was time to get them out. They didn't belong there anymore. Why? I was being sanctified. It wasn't just my time with the Lord, but I began to have honest conversations with my husband. And I'm like, hey, listen, it wasn't such a pretty thing that's in here. And I'm dealing with this and it's real and it's kind of ugly. I went over to my parents' house. I'm like, hey, there's some ugly stuff and I gotta be real because I don't want it stuck inside anymore. That sweet little small group that I went to, you know, the one, the fluff pillows and the cookies on the table. Yeah, I snotted on the pillows and I cried on the cookies. I brought my mess right there in the middle of that group. Why? Because those things don't belong inside me. The closer I got to them, it was necessary. It was necessary for them to come out. Just like the children of Israel, that pit stop was necessary because Egypt doesn't belong in Canaan. Egypt doesn't belong there. The water that the Israelites drank, see, it wasn't just meant to purge them. It was actually meant to heal them and give them something. They had to go on a longer journey. And it says, says that that magnesium and calcium most likely equipped them for the rest of the journey so that they could get there. It goes on to say in chapter 15, it says, and God says, if you'll follow me, Israelites, if you'll put your trust in me, if you'll choose to listen to me and let me guide you and obey me, then I will heal you. We talk a lot about physical healing in our church of stories of how I pray for my kid. We're, we believe that God can heal blood disorders, that God can heal cancer, that God can heal diseases. We believe that in this church and we pray for it. But God doesn't just want to heal your physical body. He wants to heal your heart. He's concerned with your heart. So let me ask you today, what's in your heart that Jesus needs to heal? What are the things that you try and push down that he's trying to bring up? Let me appeal to you today. Don't push the mess down. Deal with the mess. If you're wondering what kind of church this is, oh, it's a messy church. We maybe have a value of excellence and things look pretty, but this ain't no pretty church. This is a place where we deal with messes. You know, God is taking us all on a journey. He's constantly sanctifying each and every one of us and we're going from faith to faith and glory to glory. Don't mask the mess in this place. I don't care if your mess is right here down at the altar during a worship time or you mess up the cookies and the pillows in that group. This is a messy church. We will choose to deal with stuff and not push it down. And if I could be a pastor standing on the stage saying, I'm constantly dealing with my mess, you have permission because he wants to heal our hearts. We gotta purge the past in order to move forward into the future, into the promised land. So we don't wanna stop believing. 
I want you to purge the past. And lastly, I want you to look to the tree. Band, you guys can come real quick. We're going to close in just a couple minutes. I want you to look to the tree. Tell your neighbors, say, look to the tree. See, Moses cast that tree into the water. And it says that as the tree went into the water, it absorbed all of the bitterness of the water. The tree took upon itself this bitterness, and it made the water sweet. What we've been going through the book of Exodus the last few weeks, Tim has mentioned that the Bible isn't just about Jesus in the New Testament, but it's also about Jesus in the Old Testament. Every book, every story, every analogy, it's like, you know, little Jimmy in Sunday school. Jimmy, what's the Bible about? What's it about? Jesus. This whole thing, every book, every story, every analogy, it all points to Jesus. And this story in Exodus 15 is no different. And this branch that, or tree that Moses throws into the water is no different. It's all about Jesus. See, God provided a tree at Mara, but he also provides you and I a tree here in this room. When we picture Jesus being crucified on the cross, you know, we can get an accurate depiction of the picture of the cross. Because if you look at a cross in a church or on someone's jewelry, you'll see two perfectly planed pieces of wood. But that's not what the cross truly looked like. You see, there was a crossbar that Jesus carried on his back and that his wrists were eventually fixed to, but they weren't set upon a perfectly planed piece of wood. They were set on a tree that was already in the ground. That's why the Bible says that cursed is the one who sit, is hung on the tree. There was a tree available, not just at Mara, but there's a tree available to you and I. Jesus was hung on it. The only thing that we have to do, church, is look to the tree. Look to the tree. I don't know where you're at today in your life and your journey and where you've been looking for an answer, where you've been looking for direction, where you've been looking for healing, where you've been looking for the sweetness of life. But there's a point where we get to the end of ourselves, where we're hanging out in the desert, dehydrated, thirsty, and nothing else will satisfy. John 7 says, come and drink of me and I will give you life. I will revive your soul, the thing that you so desperately need. I don't need to look to this or that. I need to look to the tree because that is where it's found. And just as the people came and they complained to Moses and Moses went to God and God showed him a tree. I believe God is showing us a tree today because that tree in the water of Mara absorbed all of the bitterness so that the Israelites could have pure water to drink so they could be purified, so they could be healed. 
the tree that Jesus hung on when his body was beaten and broken and bloody and his blood stained that tree, his body took on bitterness. His body took on the bitterness of life and he absorbed it. You know, right before Jesus went to the cross, it says that he hung out and he prayed. And I want us to read this verse out of what he said. He said in Luke 22, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup from me. It's too bitter, but not my will, but your will. Jesus knew that you and I couldn't drink that bitter cup. He took that bitter cup, which represented all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of humanity's sin put together, and he drank it because he knew that you and I weren't able But he says, if you come to me, if you look to me, if you look to this tree, I can take the bitterness of life and I can bring you the healing that you need. I can make what's bitter sweet. So this morning I ask you, would you look to the tree for provision? The provision of the cross of what he did so he can turn what's bitter to sweet today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.